What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. When was the last time that you made a great memory? Great memories often don't just happen. This is TJ Reed from Vitamin Lead, and I want to invite you to join us February 29th, Leap Day from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. in downtown Norfolk for our seminar, How to Create a Memorable Life. It's going to be a great day where you'll learn how to plan a memorable day, as well as make attainable goals that you can do every 30 days throughout the rest of 2020. I hope that you'll join us on February 29th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. RSVP on our Vitamin Lead Facebook page. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I am your host, TJ Reed, and we are looking forward to being your bright spot in a busy day. And so this week, we're talking to Jason Troy. Next week, the last week of February, we will have Chris Tabish on the podcast talking about comediology. Then the first week of March, we will have Paul Casey sharing time management practices that will help you out. But today, we are talking with Jason Troy. Jason's an executive coach who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and rising stars to maximize their leadership potential and performance. He also helps them build and execute their career blueprint. He's the best-selling author of Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships. It sold more than 45,000 copies. He was a featured speaker at TEDx, where he debuted his breakthrough team-building game, Cards Against Mundanity. (laughs) That's a great one. And finally, he he uh, hosts a show, Executive Breakthrough, uh, bringing game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and experts that share their breakthroughs and breakdowns. I invite you to join me in welcoming Jason Troy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I'm excited today to have Jason Troy with us. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and it's great to be here and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Awesome. Well, Jason, uh, our folks have heard a little bit of your bio with the introduction here. Could you just give us a little bit more and just tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, I... uh... I call myself a chief people officer because at the end of the day, I am working with you know, different executives, leaders, and employees and organizations to really help them maximize their leadership and really build great teamwork across the board, right? Because that end up going to their, ultimately their performance level, their satisfaction, their fulfillment, and really creating an environment where they can do their best work and get their great results for everyone around them. And so that's kind of the backdrop. And, you know, I started off like everyone else early in my career going to law school, getting my master's in communications and then heading to Silicon Valley with the wild, wild west, and then found my way just into the entrepreneur world. And that's taken a windy road in and of itself. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been a fun ride. And I wrote a book along the way, working on another one and just created some other tools and games and fun things for people to do to really get the most out of themselves and the people around them. 
I love that. Could, could you talk a little bit more about the, the Silicon Valley wild, wild west? What happened there? Well, I think, you know, being around, being in that time, it was one of those moments where you had tons of super successful people today that are in leadership roles all over the place. And everyone was moving as fast as possible. And you got to work with some great people and do some amazing things because you had all these people just flocking there, right? I mean, you could probably think of the gold rush back, you know, back in the day. There was no one around from that time. But still, you had all these people looking for things and trying to figure them out and really working together and solving really complex things. And I think laying down the foundation for all the things that have happened today and all the growth that, that has gone on. Mm-hmm. And so you got to, I got to see a lot of disasters, a lot of successes, a lot of great leadership, you know, tons more poor, great teamwork, really bad. I mean, all the things that you'd see because it was this a compressed period of time. And end of the day, it's small teams were often doing things that they could never imagine going against like Goliath, right? And defeating them because they were able to do things that others could not do. And I saw this, you know, pretty consistently across the board. And it was always something that, you know, I thought was really interesting to me because David versus Goliath. I mean, everyone likes those sort of stories that you normally see in sports, like the U.S. hockey team defeating Russia. I mean, all those things are great, but I, I never really understood what that really meant and how to go to people about it. It was really for them to go back and figure that out and then move it forward and replicate it again. It was almost like a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. And I knew to myself, like, you know, none of these things are. It's just we can't figure out how to dissect what the ingredients are to replicate them. So you're, you're, you're saying David versus Goliath isn't necessarily like a one-time event, but it's something that we probably could make happen uh, over and over if, if we would just learn from those circumstances before? Yeah, because I think you see, when you look at really good, even venture capitalists or anything else like this, I mean, their perspective on their portfolio, like when I was out there, they were saying like, look, if we can get a few unicorns and we can spot them and, and we can see what's together and help those teams doing it out of every 10 businesses we have, we don't need that many to be successful because those are so wildly successful themselves. Right. But the other ones, we can do little things and instead of turning them to losses, we can turn them into singles or doubles or maybe even a triple, right? Which yeah. then makes them wildly successful overall. And that was end up being the difference, right? Of how to do those things. And I think that's a perspective that anyone can take, right? I mean, not everything you touch is gonna turn to like, you know, platinum, but you can make it turn from something that maybe nothing into a little bit of something and learn from that and grow. And I think there's a lot of things that we can do once we understand human behavior, what people really want. Hmm. And now there's tons of data, right? There's tons of data out there. There is a lot that you can do and put in the works and smart people to learn from that you can piece together and you'll have to experiment because like we were talking before the podcast, the reality is, is that when it comes to building great teams, you know, figuring out the people aspect of it, which is the number one thing, 
we're like in the second inning of a nine inning baseball game, right? We're like mm-hmm. in the beginning first quarter of a football game. I mean, it's so early on that everyone is doing something different. And when I have conversations with, you know, chief human resources officers, other people that are in executive roles all across the board from companies, everyone has a different perspective and everyone is doing something different. And when you see that happening, and then when you start to talk to people like at Zappos, they're getting rid of job roles and doing crazy things there. And they don't even know if it's going to work, but they know what they're doing now isn't working. You can tell that there's a massive sea change underway. Hmm. And, it, it, and we're so early on that people have to start getting on board this and figuring it out because otherwise they'll be left behind. Because the other people will be so much further ahead in figuring all of these things out. And like, it's, it's really immature market overall. Do, do you think that that's because uh, of new generation coming in? Or is it because the technology has gotten us to a point where now that's what we have to focus on is the people or the, the things like that? I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. I think the new generation of people, right? One of the biggest complaints now and the things that they want for people that are like under 35 is coaching and mentoring from people. Yeah. And it's where the biggest problem lies because most people in corporate America are very poor mentors or coaches and it's really not set up like that. And there's a lot more that they're looking for purpose and meaning out of their own work. And it's not that people are older don't, right? It's just different because they've learned that it it really hasn't been a possibility. Well, what you're seeing now is that that is the requirement in what's going on today. I think you're also seeing because the job hopping, right? And the cost of of acquiring talent, retaining and developing it, right? Is really high, especially people like they're leaving. So, you know, when you, when someone leaves a business, right? it could cost you anywhere on the low end of 25 to 50% to replace that. But if you're talking about someone significant, it'll cost you anywhere from a hundred to 300% to replace that person of their salary, right? Of their total comp. Right. Well, that's pretty high, right? Yeah. So that stuff is coming in. I also think the other part of it, what you're seeing is this increased pressure from people buying products and services that they want a lot more. And you have to take that feedback and implement it back in the business and really mm-hmm. create something out of it. So in essence, everything's becoming a service. And the challenge of that is everyone who's a frontline person or part of it, like engineers, even people on the tech side, you gotta have great people skills. Yeah, And that's something that's really starting to change. So all over, there's a lot of different pressures that are happening across the board. And this is not just in large companies. This is in every size business out there today. Yeah, I think that's really causing people to have to do a lot of different things that they never really had to do for in the past or really cared about or really mattered for them to invest in. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So like a lot of times I think people will look at those problems and they'll say, we need a, a Google culture or something like that uh, to, to try to transform and to retain younger folks or whatever. But so can you talk a little bit about like where leaders make mistakes when they try to implement a Google culture in their organization without making some of those foundational changes? Yeah. So I think what's happening now is you're seeing that even Google's having problems, right? All these companies end up having problems and you're seeing like last year, the data is around like benefits across the board increased about 32%. 
And what's happening there is people still aren't satisfied, right? They're still leaving. And when you look at all the data, right, all the research, all the analysts, all their reporting is that end of the day, people want to feel like they've accomplished something and that there's meaning in their work, right? And that they have relationships and feel connected to the people around them and that someone cares, right? And, And I think that's where if you don't put that in place, all the rest don't matter, right? Right. Because they're going to then, t- it's sort of like when someone gives you more money, the next year you're asking for a bigger salary increase. You're not right. asking for less, right? Or saying, okay, it's, it's great. I don't want any more, right? I'm good now. Nobody says I'm that. good, <laughs> right? And so that's what ends up happening is you keep asking for more and you keep feeling hollow inside, right? You talk to people that are ha- like, you know, keep buying, buying and more and more stuff, right? They do it to fill the void inside of themselves. They can't fill outside. So I always told right. people end of the day, the difference is, is all the intangibles and all the things we learned in our personal life to apply in our business. And there's a study, I think it's by Will, I can't remember the study now, the, the, who did it, but all the top things and they looked at, you know, um, I think like 500 companies and they looked at the top performers and all the data that separated them out were all the things about you know, caring about contribution, communication, collaboration. It wasn't that these were the smartest people, right? All the other things that separated them out. And 85% of the stock market is intangible things as well, right? So Hmm. it is the ability to cultivate people's talent, right? Develop it, grow it, really give them the experiences they need that hold people and if you keep just paying people more and more and more without doing the fundamentals, they're just going to leave and go somewhere else. No matter if you have a business of five people or, you know, 50,000, it really doesn't matter across the board when I have these conversations with people. It, it's pretty much all the same. And the data shows it too. Yeah. I think it's a, I mean, it just seems like a society problem in general, the loneliness and connection and all that stuff we, we struggle so much with. I, I found it so interesting in your TED talk. Uh, that you were talking about how uh, loneliness is a big thing that people talk about at work. And if somebody finds a close friend at work or something like that, what is the stat that they're seven times more likely to be loyal to the company and stay longer? Well, I think what we're finding now is that there's a, you know, before with, we didn't have technology, right? I saw this stat a really a long time ago that in like 1960, you know, and I can't remember exactly the stat, but people used to go on picnics, right? Like you used to go out and do things quite often, like over 10 times or something a year, right? And now it's either down to like zero or one. And the reason is, is that you might think, well, who cares about a picnic? Well, it is the socialization that's going on and the relationships that you have with other people. The problem with technology is people are using it as a substitute, not as what it's really meant to do, which is to help you actually meet more people. Well, then if you're using it as a substitute, the place you're going to meet the most people in general is work. Mm. And so if you, don't, yeah. if you don't find people there, you're going to really find a major disconnection across the board, right? And that's why people are acquiring more from their work, especially in the you know, younger generations, because they want to have that and they aren't getting that in other places. And so the technology and the landscape is shifting 
and organizations have to shift significantly that it is now about our personal and professional lives are merged. They are one. They are not one that we can require people to put up a wall on because they are rebelling against that notion. So the loneliness factor is gone up. There's a Dan Cassiopo passed away, I think, last year. University of Chicago wrote a note that, like, you know, the loneliness rate is around 40%, right? Or at least somewhere between 30 to 40% of the data across the board in the United States, right? And that's someone feeling all alone, not actually physically being alone. Right. And there are major ramifications for that in terms of your mental wellness, your physical and also your professional wellness as well, right? And your ability to be successful. So that's really making a major impact across the board on people and individuals. And you know, when you look at that as well as people's social communication or emotional skill sets are the lowest they've ever been, according to all the data. Now you're seeing a really sea change in what's happening today across the globe in a societal change. And so the workplace has to change and it's going to have to be a significant substitute for what before it said no you're only working nine to five right and you find that outside well people aren't and if you expect them to do that you're going to find a rude awakening that they are just going to want to leave and keep finding new places until they find that place if they ever do hmm. so Let's, let's say you got to wave a magic wand over our society and culture. What, what's one thing that you would implement that you think would help some of this uh, loneliness? Well, I think one of the things that I found and that I talked about my TED talk was that I, when I was looking at doing it, I was trying to find, okay, well, there has to be some way, right? We all have experiences in our life where we've met someone and within five or 10 minutes, we felt like we've known them all our life. We had, we found yeah. some way to elevate that conversation, right? We've had times where we have worked with people either professionally or personally, maybe in school, maybe in a sport, maybe in some event, where we felt really close to those people and we accomplished something great with them, whatever great meant at that moment. And I was like, we've done all these things. Why can't we figure out how to do something in a repeatable fashion with people? And as I was looking at things, I felt to myself like, you know, one of the things happened is that we trusted those people. We were really vulnerable and we shared a lot. And what we did was that created a sense of closeness, caring, right? Connection, belonging, other things, safety with them. That was way higher than we normally had experienced. And because of that, we were able to do great things and other people were as well, or we could share in the moments that we normally felt like we couldn't with people and really be transparent. And that's how we want to be. Yeah. And so I came across this study. I was looking at the New York times because I was trying to figure out and do research. And a woman went to a bar and she asked a man 36 questions, which I thought was pretty amazing to begin <laughs> with that he would go along with this. And they ended up falling in love and getting married. And I was like, you know, what is, what is that study? So of course I clicked on it and actually I thought it was gonna be clickbait, but it wasn't. It went to a research study by Professor Arthur Aaron. And what he ended up doing was he had grad students get together and they asked each other 36 questions over 45 minutes. And these questions were pretty vulnerable. Like one of the last sets of the questions was, tell me three things that you like about me. Now, these are complete strangers, right? And think about it. If you had to ask that question or get asked that question, 
yeah. and you were sitting across the table for someone and they had a look in your eyes, right? Not that you could look around. Imagine how difficult that would be. And you would have to give them some answer at that point based yeah. off of the other questions and the limited interactions of it. Well, what was amazing at the end of that, and then I looked in the study and it was obviously buried, was 30% of the people created the closest relationship in their lives. Wow. In 45 minutes, right? Wow. 30% of the people, and they've replicated the study, you know, dozens and dozens of times across geography and ages. So none of that really mattered. And so I thought to myself, well, what happens if we did this in a group full of people, right? Yeah. So I experimented and tried it on my own. And the first time I did it, I got a acquaintance of mine, right? Somebody didn't know to get people to go to dinner. And I was going to ask them the first 12 of these questions, right? And then just leave. And the only requirement was no one was connected to me on Facebook or LinkedIn or really any social media. And the person had a check and that was it. And then I said, well, I'll play a game and everyone's going to have a good time. And they're like, well, why wouldn't we do this? And so they got people together and I started asking these questions and people were sharing things. I could not believe that they would actually share with other people. Right. Like, hmm. and it was almost like watching a reality TV show and you're sitting there and you're the host. And so do you, do you think that's because we're all dying to get it out of ourselves? Like I, we I mean, are. Yeah. And I think people want to be heard. Yeah. They want to share. And what happens in a group, right? When you're doing this, which is different than one-on-one, -on -one, because if I do this one-on-one -on -one with you, it requires you to have an, either a similar experience or similar emotional experience or be able to relate. But yeah. when I do this in a group full of people, it's almost impossible for that not to happen. Yeah. Because someone's had something close enough to you that you can see in them or they can see in you. And that's what makes it so powerful because then you apply it to the entire group and you feel like you're a part of a tribe in a moment, right? And this is just like an experience that we rarely have, but we yeah. value because we've either had it or known about it or seen or heard it or want it so bad, right? And so that's what happened there. And then, you know, when I started to go through these questions and I asked them and it took, you know, a little bit around an hour to do them because there was a lot of people sharing. Right. I was like, hey, thanks, you know, have a great night. I appreciate this. It was great meeting you all. And then people grabbed me and they're like, you can't leave. We have, we have to do the other questions. And literally they grabbed my arms and I thought they wouldn't really weren't going to let me leave. Right. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, let's go ahead and do it. And so it took like two plus hours to go through the other questions hmm. and they were eating them up. No one wanted to leave. Wow. No one was going anywhere else. Right. We're just sitting in a regular restaurant. So there are people coming and going and leaving and we're sitting there the whole time. Yeah. And I just thought it was pretty amazing. And I did it two other times just to test it out to think, well, maybe that was just sort of a freak occurrence. Right. And when you have doing it three times with very similar results, you realize at that point that mm. there's something pretty large here. And a lot of it is that when people walk away from that, there is a trust level that's created that is really the key point in everything that we do. Because without having a high level of trust, we won't do anything. And great places to work, which is uh, they do a massive study. The number one thing they found in great workplaces is a trust level that's off the roof, right? Harvard mm. uh, Business Review, if you look in the May issue from 2019, yeah. they did a huge study 
And they found end of the day that without having very, very high level of trust with the people around you, that performance, engagement, you know, fulfillment, everything else was very low, right? So I think that what's ended up happening is the fundamental things that are needed in our personal relationships, the people that we're the closest to that we're in our inner circle, we have to recreate that in the workplace. And we at least have to put the foundations in there, right? So if you play a game like that where you're sharing, the key thing is being vulnerable in sharing your experiences. That's what brings people together. It's not ropes courses. It's not traditional team building things. It's the sharing part of it and learning about people because that skyrockets trust. And what it does is in that moment is that it doesn't replace the time element, but what it does is that you feel so comfortable with them that you're willing to open up to places you normally weren't that then allow people in and then you can get there on the time element as you're spending more time with them. And that's where the magic is on great teams and organizations, no matter what their size. So Jason, I'm a, I'm a leader of a team and I want to, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm going, man, I really want to make this happen. I want to, you know, knock 2020 out of the park, making this happen. Uh, as uh, let's approach it two different ways. First off, could you share, like if I'm the leader of a team department, something like that, how do I start to implement some of what you're talking about to get people connected? And then second of all, if you're just on a team, you're not the leader of the team, how can you contribute towards making a healthier connected workplace? Sure. So if you're a leader on a team, the things that you really need to focus on are one, you have to bring the team together. So like I have a game cards against mundanity you can use. I think think that's awesome. Yeah. And we can talk about that later. And then you have enough, you know, this other thing I wrote an article about creating user manuals. And what it is, is that like, if you create, you know, you get instructions on how to put something together. Well, you can do that with people and ask them questions, right? Like how do you like the best communicate with other people? How can people approach you with difficult conversations? What are your pet peeves, right? Learning about people, so you don't need to figure it out. They actually given you a blueprint, right? And, it, and that's, I've seen great managers now use versions of that across the board. I think the other part of it is having some peer-to-peer recognition where you recognize other people and you allow people to do that with other people and share and give them praise and say things that are really something helpful. I think the other part of it is the elements are People want growth, they want coaching, they want mentoring, and they want feedback, right? So you have to be able to do that yourself, or you can find other resources with them. Um, Gartner has a thing called the connected manager, meaning that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. All you have to do is be smart enough to connect them to resources to help them, right? So you don't have to be an always-on manager, which they call in solving it. But if you can do those things you will significantly increase your team's ability to do great things right now. If you're on a team, right. And you're not a manager, what you can do is take the principles of what we talked about and use cards against mundanity and say to your manager, Hey, I'd love to, I love to do this in a team meeting where we, everyone can go around and ask some questions and get to know each other better. You can use a user manual and saying, Hey, you could create one for yourself and give it to other people. 
and saying, hey, if you want to do this, I would love to find out more about you, but here's something about me that could be helpful in interacting with me. And you could, you know, you could sit down and ask them questions on it and get to know them better too and figure that out and use that across the board. You could start praising people in team meetings, right? Just on your own, right? Yeah. Saying, hey, I'd like to thank you know, uh, Jim for helping me on this project. And, you know, by spending his time, I was able to do this and impact X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, you do little simple things like that where you can really start to drive it because people will do anything for you when they know you care about them. And you yeah. spend the time and you do the same actions that you do for people in your personal life. So what happens psychologically is those people then look at you and unconsciously they put you in their inner circle. So they end up being your advocates no matter what level you are because they want you to succeed because they want to work with more people like you that actually care about them and demonstrate that in little actions, right? So it's the little things that you can do that will ultimately get you to great places. You don't have to do, you don't have to be the best performer. Right. Yeah. But you have to be someone who cares because what happens is you will elevate everyone around you to do such great work that the results will be out of the world, right? But if you yeah. do the greatest work, right? It's kind of like if you're the biggest fish in a small pond, who really cares? Because you're right. the one who's always having to do all the heavy lifting. I'd right. rather be a small fish in a big pond and ever everyone that's around me working in at a really high level and so yeah. that's that's what's required for people to do today if you're an individual contributor and you're coming up and it's your first job or you're starting things over or you're on a level where you don't really have much control so why why do you think we engage differently uh outside of work than we do inside of work well i think a lot of it is we've just been told that right work life separation don't be emotional don't be vulnerable don't share it's all logical it's all data right? right and i think that's done a huge disservice and i think one of the things that you're seeing now across the board is a lot of times women are doing a much better job at this because they are actually connecting their emotions at work than a lot of men are yeah. And so I think that's one of the sea changes you're seeing. Like if you look at the data on self-awareness, right? Women are actually way more self-aware than men are as a whole. And it's because they can do a lot more reflection, right? And a lot more things that are really possible um, that men just don't do across the board. But I think as a whole group, we need to be able to do this and succeed because otherwise what happens is we're not showing up as ourselves. And when you hide, that creates disconnection. And you're seeing yeah. this across the board. It's why people leave. End of the day, you go to some place, you start working there, you're all excited. You get onboarded yeah. and you feel disconnected. You never really have met the people around you. And then over time, things start to happen. Your manager doesn't interact like you want. You start getting frustrated. It leads right. to disengagement, disconnection. And then you start looking for a new job because the employment rate's so high that there's other options. Right. Right. And then the business has a major cost that they don't put in the balance sheet, which is how many people are actually leaving. Because yeah. that's a cost that significantly affects at the end of the year that no one really looks at. Right. They just put it all in new hires or whatever. But that's bad hiring, poor hiring or other things that go into all these you know, components. And 
I don't see that changing. People talk about the economy going down all the time. I hear this doom and gloom. I talk to people. And then the same people last year who told me this are now like, well, it looks like first and second quarter are going to be better than they were before, right? Well, look, at some point, obviously, things are going to dip. But we're way out of that point where the hiring levels are so low, right? And I was talking to someone in Denver, and their unemployment rate or some, or like, is like 1%. It's wow. so low that there's no – like, there people can't fill. They, there's no way for them to fill the jobs that they actually have right now. And they're actually having employees that aren't near as qualified because they don't even have a body to put in the place, like actual, like someone breathing. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wonder, like, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about, I've been in my current organization for a little over eight years and you kind of see people leave almost in cohorts, people that kind of entered or experienced the organization at a certain period of the organization they seem to leave in groups of cohorts. Is that kind of like what you're talking about? That as they, maybe as, even if they do uh, get connected to people in the workplace, they tend to follow the relationship or if that's not there anymore, that's a lot easier to make the opt out from the organization. Yeah, and then usually they're a part of some sea change that's going on. Yeah. Right, and then they're not a part of it or they haven't connected with it and it tends to then drive them out. And some of that I think attrition is natural and it's going to happen across the board, right? But some of that is also poor leadership overall, meaning that people are not putting enough time into the employee experience, the growing, the feedback, all the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. And that's where people all complain across the board. Like I don't, I mean, so people are listening to this stuff and they're thinking to themselves, I work with C-suite people and all of them complain that they don't get enough feedback and career direction. Hmm. So if you're sitting here listening to your thing, oh, I don't either, (laughs) they're not either, right? And it's an endemic thing across the board, right? It's not just like it's someone else. Now, are there people getting it? Yes, but it is very low numbers because no one's taught all these people. Remember, all the things we're talking about are all learned behaviors. You, someone has to teach you this. No one wakes up and says, well, I'll really give great feedback to my employees. And if you can talk to them and maybe you are naturally gifted in one particular area, most of the other ones are not. Yeah. You have to learn best practices and how to do stuff, right? No one learned how to like do algebra in their sleep. Right. You went to school and someone taught you a formula. This stuff is the same way. Yeah. There are best practices in how to do this. Now, there isn't one set, right? But you have to learn how to do this, and you aren't naturally gifted at doing any of these things. And even if you are, at some point, you'll hit your ceiling. And when you do, you won't know it. And what you're going to do is have a massive problem around you by the time that you figure it out, because you're going to have a lot of people frustrated disconnected, disengaged, and everything else. You have to do this proactively and ahead of time, not when you think you need it. Right. So, so how can a leader uh, learn vulnerability and connection? Like, let's say they're not good at it, right? Like, it's something that they, whether they grew up in a house that didn't do well at that, or they just haven't seen it yet in their career, how, how can they practice uh, healthy, I guess, vulnerability and, and connection with their folks as a leader? Well, I think what they're going to have to do ultimately is get coaching, 
get development help, right? Either yeah. internally in an organization, if they have something, most likely that's not the case. They'll have to go external in order to get it. Then you have to read. You're going to have to listen to podcasts like this. And then I think ultimately you have to take that leap of faith by sharing yourself, right? Sharing the things that are your own challenges, right? The things that you've learned, right? The mistakes you're making in the current moment and have made. And then asking a lot of questions from people, right? Getting their buy-in and help, getting to know them. Yeah. And sharing, right? And it is a leap of faith across every one of these because no one will have done it before, right? The first time, but you have to do it because then you'll get evidence immediately from other people. Because just like at Professor Arthur Aaron's thing, when all these people were sharing, and I do this all the time, right? Like the cards against mundanity thing. So I'll go and I've spoken now this year to probably 75 events in corporate and other events. And people, I put them in the small groups of strangers and all the time, what happens is in the beginning, it's quiet and then it gets louder and louder in the room. People are either laughing, they're crying, they're smiling, they're doing whatever because they've been vulnerable and they have gotten a lot out of it. And the groups that end up having the loudest or are really crying or doing like laughing or exchanging business cards are always the people that were vulnerable the most. So you get evidence when you do it and you just have to be able to do it because that is a requirement for any great leader or manager with their people. You you won't be able to get the best out of other people because think yourself, you don't ever want to work or be around someone who's always right. And who never can actually be humble, admit their own mistakes, open up, share and realize they don't have all the answers and there could be other possibilities that they have not taken in consideration that actually could be considerably better than the ones that had happened right in the event or whatever had gone on. Yeah. So what's, so what's one of your favorite uh, questions from the cards against mundanity? You know, I mean, one of the things I like to ask, I think always works with people, a couple questions that really work with people is asking them what's the most important lesson you've learned in the last year. And the other one um, is, you know, if you had to say thank you to one person that helped you become the person that you are, who would that person be and what did they do? Mm -hmm. I think those are great questions to ask people because it allows them to be in a place, right? The other thing that I'll ask people is like, you know, what are you most excited about in your life right now? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think those questions, there's a lot of other ones, but those are usually the gateways to open up the other ones yeah. because that allows them to share in a way and be extremely vulnerable yeah. without feeling extremely vulnerable. Right. It's like, yes. you, like you, there are questions in there. Like, like, tell me about the biggest blessing you've had in the skies. Like, tell me about the biggest setback you've had in the last five years. Well, those are really obviously the meat, right? Right. Because those are critical parts of you and experiences that other people, when they understand that, can interact with you much better, hmm. but you can't get to that place if you don't go down some level of a road. Now this, that's the fast track, right? Yeah. Because ultimately when I started doing things in groups, I would start to ask them questions like, well, tell me about, you know, what superpower do you wish you had and why, right? And, and, and I always thought I had to go slower. And then I thought to myself, well, that's really antiquated thinking. Is that the case? And so I changed the question from that 
to tell me about what's the most important lesson that you've learned in the last year. And that's way more vulnerable. And what I found is, is that people liked it better. They had more fun and they got much farther along in their groups in the same amount of time. Yeah. Right. And end of the day, when you take a look at like even introverts, right, or it's people that are shy, because I've asked thousands of them over the last year, like what's stopping you from having better conversations and more conversations with people and getting out there, right? Especially after they play this game. And they've all said to me pretty much the same thing. If we could get to the meaningful questions, we would have a lot more of them. But what we don't want to do and what wears us out as individuals is to go through all the small talk. Where are you from? What do you do? Right. To and the and then most of the time they never get to anything that's meaningful to them and they're exhausted and they want to give up. And so they don't want to do it and they want to opt out. Yeah, and that's we, really pretty telling. We, we don't, what is it? The, the amygdala, we don't necessarily connect logically before we connect emotionally. Right. So if we learn to connect emotionally, then maybe we can hear the bullet point stuff of the, biographical things, but it's really important to know the emotional things that uh, wires a person. Yeah, because here's the thing. I mean, everyone can listen and think about this themselves. How many times have you had a conversation with someone throughout your life and, you know, where you, you've asked them questions or they've asked you, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Right? Like all the boring questions. Yeah. And how many of those have led to something that you feel like are meaningful? Those, those are probably low percentages, right? Yeah. So, Whenever you've done something millions of times, tens of thousands of times, whatever it might be, right, in some form, right, you then stop wanting to do that because evidence says it's not going to get me anywhere, right? Yeah. Well, if you have a different way to start engaging in that and get better evidence, you're going to get to somewhere faster or you're going to get at least much deeper than you would there, which is going to then encourage you to have more of those types of conversations. So I always tell people, instead of asking someone they meet for the first time, tell me, you know, what, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? Like ask people, so what are you most excited about in your life right now? Right. Or even a question, if you go to an event saying, so why are you excited to come to this event or what, you know, what motivated you to come here? Well, you're going to find out if someone said I'm here for educational credits and that's all you can tell they probably don't care to be there. You probably don't want to talk to that person long. Right. (laughs) And I speak at HR conferences a lot. So whenever I hear someone say that there's nothing more, there's probably not going to be a great conversation associated with that because they just want to come here so they can sign a sheet and leave. Right. Mm, Yeah. So if you start asking better questions and deeper ones off the board, right, you're going to get much deeper. Now that's the same way on a lot of teams. Most people, they don't know the people around them at all, even though they've spent an enormous amount of time with them. Yeah. Right. And the key thing is you have to really get to know people on a deep level if you want to do great work for you because they're not willing to take risks. Right. And you can read about psychological safety. Amy Edmondson wrote about this and she's a Harvard professor and Google did this. If you want to literally Google project Aristotle (laughs) and they looked at what is the number one factor for high performance at Google globally on, on all of their teams? And they found that it was psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And that's willing for people to take risks on their team. And it's about the social connection and connectivity. It's not about individual performance, not about when you went to school. It's not about your risk taking alone, right? It's about what people do inside of groups. And so 
that should tell everyone is that your success is dependent on bringing out the best in other people. And if you aren't doing that, yeah. you will not be able to be successful. You will, you will be able to reach a certain level, but then you are going to hit a ceiling and it is really going to be tough from there. Yeah. It's painful when you don't. It's painful, right? So yeah. there are people out there that probably will say to me, well, Jace, that's not true. I'm doing, I'm looking at much money. I'm making all the rest I'm doing. And I'm like, well, how much more money could you be making? How much more successful could you be? Really? Yeah. End of the day, is that what you want in your tombstone? You worked a good life? Really? Is that really what you're here for? Right? And yeah, that's good. The deeper thing, wow. no one wants that. And I'm like, okay, what impact are you making on around you? Could you be a better leader or a better manager? Right? Have you really invested in it? And all the time people will always, you know, end of the day will say no. And then I'm like, all right, well, you're shortchanging yourself and everyone around you. Is that really the life that you want to live? Right? Is that really what the signal you'll be telling people around you? And then it's game changing when you have these and have real conversations with people. But if you live in the other world, the alternate reality of it of saying, well, it's all about me and my success, then you may have it, but it's going to be very fleeting and yeah. it's going to be very temporary. And at some point, the fall will be really big. And I think the problem a lot of people see is they'll work with people that are either ruthless, narcissists or whatever, or something that's a bad person. And then they'll leave and they'll, and they'll say, oh my gosh, well, that person's getting ahead because they don't care or whatever. But they're not, look, they're, not, they're not able to follow them 5, 10, 15, 20 years and see what happens. Because hmm. they change, yeah. Yeah, and they, they, or, they, or they didn't change. <laughs> or they didn't change, and they'll have a precipitous fall and bad things happen, but you never get to see the rest of the movie. Yeah. That's the challenge, right? And I see that in a lot of the people and clients and other people, and I notice these things that are happening around them, and there's a high price to pay for it over time. And, and, it, and it reflects both personally and professionally. Yeah, I, I, I've learned from people that aren't the greatest leaders, right? That uh, I left 30 minutes into their movie, but I determined I'm going to write a better movie uh, now that I know that that's a really crappy plot uh, to have for that movie, right? Yeah. And I think we all have to know that, that these are the things that really matter. And human performance is really a business def differentiator. And yeah. it's more about even the team performance and the people around you and what you bring out in them. And that's really what's going to be written in the future. And that's really going to be the definition of what people look for. They're just struggling so much now that people are grappling at all these things. That's why when you hear people talk about culture, it feels so mushy, right? And there's a lot of people that are sick of hearing about it because yeah. Right now, people are talking about it, but they're really the tools and the other things around it to get it, right? So like the game I created, like you don't see that. I mean, I, I, mean, I love that I created it, but, it's, it, but in it had, I'm thinking to myself, well, how hasn't someone done this before, right? I mean, how then someone really had it and really brought it forward and really talked about it? Because these things are hard, right? And people yeah. are struggling with them across the board. And so they're just trying to talk about them at a super high level because they don't have a lot of the things that are underneath them today. Yeah. They're trying to figure it out, but they haven't. And that's in big companies, small companies. You hear the same thing across the board, right? We want our people closer together, want them connected, want better teamwork, right? All these other things that are happening. And so there are companies experimenting. I was looking at like Schneider Electronic, I think company over in Europe, and one of the things they're doing in their systems now 
is having a way for an internal job search so so they can find new experiences in different parts of the company across the world and yeah. their managers now are loaning them to other teams to get them hmm. and they're matching them up with their skill sets and other things in order to get new experiences and it's helping cool. people grow right now they had to do a lot to figure this out it's imperfect um in, in how they're doing it but it allows people to grow and take on new projects learn new things right and be you know grow make more money too because a lot of times in today's companies like you can't keep going up right so a lot of the skill sets and how you get compensated is going to be how are you helping other people bring products to market make money across the company itself be more entrepreneurial i guess you can think about it that way than you'd have in the past. So when you see things like that, there are a lot of opportunities out there and people doing things. But like we said, they're really on the early stages of all this stuff. So we, as people working inside of there as leaders and managers have to get out ahead of this and try to do new things and learn because then what happens over time, we get better and better and better. Yeah. And those are the things that'll make the biggest difference. It's not the other things that people normally substitute for. The hard skill, you can type in front of a computer and learn and constantly have to get better. A soft skill, you have to learn, you have to implement it, you have to experience it, you have to get feedback, and then you have to get better at it, right? Well, that's a long lag time. Right. So if you don't start, you're really left behind. And when you have the problem and the challenge, you have to get massive action and massive help because yeah. otherwise you can't do it because now you're having to compress a, a large period of time and a short one. Hmm. This, is, this has been so good, Jason. I so appreciate this thoughts oh, on just people, you know, it's all, it's all about people. Um, it is. And that's the hard part, right? I mean, yeah. and so I think everyone listening to this, I mean, everyone empathizes with everyone else that this is really difficult time. And I think we'll look back on this in many ways, like people did with the industrial revolution and all the rest of the things that are going on, it's really a people revolution. And everyone's scared about AI, but at the end of the day, AI is only gonna replace repetitive things. And at the end of the day, when it replaces a repetitive thing, strategic yeah. things multiply. Yeah. So there'll be more opportunities and more jobs and less. It's just, you're not going to have to do a lot of the same things you were doing before. So that's scary for people who don't want to learn and don't want to grow because their jobs, they'll will be replaced over time. Now, I still think that's going to be a long time. It's like self-driving cars. Everyone talks about it. I'm like, well, well, when are they going to take away the steering wheel? I yeah. mean, that's not really anytime close. <laughs> not with the generation that's grown up with it. So, no. <laughs> okay. So Jason, uh, how can our listeners connect with you and uh, maybe order cards against mundanity or your book? Or your upcoming book. Yep. So you can go to uh, jasontroy.com. That's jasontreu.com. And then you can go to Cards Against Mundanity to get the book. And you can find out all about my speaking, coaching, other services, and other fun things. And then my book, Social Wealth, is on Amazon. So it's on my links on my website. But you can go to Amazon, too, and pick that up and check that out. That sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I think we've learned a lot about uh, people and connecting with one another and with our teams. And so thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge uh, on there. So right, thanks for having me. Hope you have a great day.